This is The Janet Lewis Show. Welcome to episode 30. And today we're going to be talking with Victoria Marshman, who is the an entrepreneur and co-founder of Maeve and Shay, uh, which is a direct-to-consumer brand. They create these amazing slippers that are ergonomically correct, but you do not have to sacrifice your style or your fashion, uh, which is what every female loves, right? Um, so Victoria started her career actually as an employee, and then she took the leap into entrepreneurship. And since then, uh, since actually since 2015, she has created two companies and brought them to over six figures. Plus, she's also donated over 200K to local charities, which is amazing. And Victoria is passionate about empowering and supporting women, as well as creating brands with a purpose. And what we're gonna do today is we're going to explore Victoria's life and her journey and how she got to where she is today. So we'll talk about who and what has influenced her. Uh, we're gonna talk about her challenges that she's encountered and what gives her energy to keep moving forward. And we're also going to look at why she decided to become a co-founder, because I think that's a choice. That's an interesting choice. And you've done it not once, but twice. And I'm sure we're also going to get into the joys and woes of running your own business. So Victoria, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Janet. That was quite the, quite the short and sweet intro. It's hard to put it all into that, to, to one little nugget. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. Trust me. <laughs> I'm trying to shorten it this year too. So it's good. But um, like, I think I originally met you in the spring of 2020. Yes, that dreaded year when the pandemic was just starting. And I was actually looking online um, because I was really missing like connecting with other driven entrepreneurs. And you had City Moguls at the time. So we had a quick conversation. Mm -hmm. And I loved what you were doing with City Moguls. So I decided to join. And then um, we've kind of gotten to know each other since then. And I also love that City Moguls was located in Toronto because it's local, right? So it's the opportunity mm -hmm. to also network with local people. And, you know, Victoria, one of the things that I love about you is you are super passionate about what you're doing. And, you know, we always have these great discussions. Plus, you've done a lot in a very short time period. So I thought it would be good to have you on so you can share your experience so that other people can hear about it and also probably learn a thing or two from it as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Can't wait. Yeah. And, you know, we, we always um, like we share kind of similar ideas about entrepreneurship, the importance of conversation. Um, so I'm sure we're going to get into a lot of different things. So why don't we start with like where you're from, where you grew up, what you're passionate about as a kid. And, and then we'll get into like why you went from being an employee into entrepreneurship. And I am sure there are so many topics we're going to cover in this. So I'm going to let you get started. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So starting back to the beginning, I'm from Scarborough, Ontario. I'm an only child uh, to two incredible parents. So 
my only children will understand what that means. <laughs> Don't have to explain that. Um, but at a very early age, I built a passion for all things artistic. So from a young age, my teachers at school could see that I loved music and dance and drama and art. And I was enrolled in dance classes really by forcing my mother at like five years old. So I do believe that dance is my first passion, my first love, and it's taught me more than anything else in this world. Um, so fast forward a couple of years, I was very lucky to get into the Claude Watson program based in Toronto. It's an enriched arts program. Um, that was incredible. I really was able to tap into my creativity at such a young age, which gave me so much confidence as a young person. Um, and I was kind of exposed to all art areas, but again, dance really stuck out for me as that like passion and thing that fueled me and challenged me and really was something I just loved so much. So around my teens, I decided, you know, I want to take this dance thing to like a whole new level and really go all in. So I was competitive dancing at the time and also at an art school. So it was doing, you know, a high level amount of dancing training. And my dance training got to a point where my parents were like, um, Victoria, this is a quite the financial burden. Um, we come from pretty humble beginnings and, you know, any extracurriculars, especially things like dance, hockey, uh, a bunch of other sports, you know, they get very expensive. So by the time I was like 14, 15, it got to a point where my parents were like, we can't financially support you at this level anymore. You got to figure it out. So I ended up getting a couple part-time jobs. I worked at the studio. My first official job was Shoppers Drug Mart, just like Drake. Um, <laughs> good old Shoppers Drug Mart. And, you know, I, I was always doing many things because I was willing to do whatever I needed to do to get the best training and become the best dancer I possibly could. And I want to share this part of my story because it's something that is so important to why I am the way I am around 15 around 15 years old um I was at my dance studio on a regular day and my studio owner pulled me out of class and she was like Victoria I need to talk to you and I immediately thought like oh my god this is it she's gonna hand me like a bill because I was always late on my fees she would always like forgive me for certain fees it was just you know whatever I could pay we had an incredible relationship and she is one of the most important people in my life but she pulled me into her office and she handed me a card and I opened that card and inside was an anonymous letter about me and I still don't know who the, who wrote it to this day but basically the letter was was about myself and the impact I had had on that the studio and this person um, was aware that I was having some financial difficulties so they wrote me a check so that I could continue my dance training and it was just I was in shock and for to be perfectly honest, I was so, it was like excitement and embarrassment because I was like, oh my God, like 
why would somebody give me money? Why am I worthy of receiving, you know, this amount of money to help me with my dance training? I was just always thought I had to figure it out myself. So it was really the first time in my life I had exper experienced and received an anonymous act of giving. And I really think it changed the trajectory of my life that yeah. everything I had to do had to have some kind of impact because that changed my life. It allowed me to continue my dancing. I was able to do it professionally for a couple of years. Unfortunately, it didn't work out. The dance world is quite intense, but you know, it's a big part of my life still. I still choreograph and teach in Toronto. I love working with youth and kids and igniting that passion. Um, but that's a big part of who I am and um, really is the driver behind everything I do in my life, having impact and creating some real change. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you have like made that connection because, you know, part of making that connection, I don't know about you, but part of making that connection is like, as you get older and you kind of reflect back on like, why am I the um, you know, sometimes it's these, um, acts or mentors or people that kind of come to the foreground of your story and what has like really impacted you today. So I love that. Thank you for sharing it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a big part of everything. So I'll go a little faster for no, the, it's okay. It's okay. 20s. So you were you were dancing, and were yeah. you dancing? And you did you also go to um, post secondary school? Yeah. So I took a I took a couple years off in between high school and university, which was passe at the time. You know, <laughs> you I, I think people should do it, <laughs> but I did it during a time where like, oh. I don't know, is she gonna ever go back to school? I did end up going back to school. I went to the University of Toronto. I thought I wanted to be a doctor, which is very funny because now I look at it and I'm like, what was I thinking? But I think it was more in a, a fascination with having a title and helping people, so like help, helping people felt really like a good thing until I volunteered at a hospital. I was like, absolutely not. I will cry all day, every day for the rest of my life. Um, so I went to U the University of Toronto, did a, a double major in psychology and human biology. And I did genuinely love it. I loved learning about the human body, um, how people's brains work. And, you know, so I all I look at all of that now and all the marketing I do in my life. And I'm like, that's probably where it started, just like a fashion fascination with people. But it was during university that I actually met my now co-founder of three businesses, Danny. And we met on the we met at the auditions for the dance team at uh, University of Toronto, um, and it was one of those like unexplainable universe working in mysterious ways. Like we were at this audition with fifty people, and we locked eyes, and I was about to do like this big jump across the the floor, and we looked at each other, and we just kind of like knew we were gonna do something big together. Um, and it was during our university days that we actually started doing some charity events and fundraisers. We took over the dance team as co-captains um, and we knew we wanted to do stuff together. Uh, we just felt like we had to go and prove ourselves in the corporate world and make sure that like we had tried that before we started our own thing. But it was always something we talked about um, as our friendship grew and as we started to do just some charity and events and stuff at a small scale in university. Yeah. Well, and you know, it's funny, like it's kind of interesting because I feel like everybody just wants to jump into entrepreneurship this day, uh, these days, but I, um, 
my experience as well, I started out in corporate, you know, and I had, I worked at the bank of Montreal. They had amazing training. I only stayed six months because the bank was not the place for me. Um, but then I went to a small startup and that was like a different type of environment and ended up at Sun Microsystems. But all of those things are like stepping stones, but they're all things where I think I can look back and there's so much I learned in that time period that has actually allowed me to run a business. You know, like even the simplest thing is like putting processes in place. Right? <laughs> like, yes. Or learning from bosses, how you don't want to be treated. And then being like, <laughs> I know how to treat people now because of that experience. <laughs> yeah. Or on the flip side, if you had an amazing manager, which I, I did, I had this one amazing female manager and I had other amazing managers as well, but in particular, this one female manager that was very good at like helping me see my skill set and understand my worth in the workplace. Right. So I think it's important to like make sure that you have those people around you that are being honest with you, but can also help see like and guide you in different directions too. Yeah, absolutely. Mentors, as you know, with city moguls, it's it's such a big thing, regardless of what you're doing or who you're working for. Yeah. And so um, I had saw, like, I saw you worked at Lululemon, um, yeah. which is also a great company to work for. Great to start out in retail. I'm sure they gave you great training. Um, and then went into like um, events, like PR yeah. events, right? Yeah. Going back to Lululemon, honestly, the best job. Like, I think, I think in my 50s or 60s, I want to go back and work there because I loved it. I genuinely did. And I do believe that it, because I, it, Lululemon was like a constant for me through while I was dancing professionally and in university. It's kind of the part-time job I kept um, throughout that whole period of my life. And what I loved about Lululemon's culture, even back then, this is, you know, 14 years ago uh, before they were really, really big they really set up all their employees on like this personal growth journey, which I knew nothing about at 18 years old, but they, they taught me how to do smart goal setting. And they had this whole library of, you know, personal growth books and self-development books that I read all of them at like 18. And I, and I don't think I really understood the impact or, you know, a lot of the things that they were talking about, but now I go back to a lot of those books and I'm like, I'm so happy. I read the tipping point when I was yeah. 18, cause I read it now and I'm like, okay, my subconscious was probably working on stuff when I wasn't even aware of it when I was at Lululemon. So great place to work. Yeah, I think too, like books like that, um, like for example, every year I reread the four agreements. And what's interesting to me is like, depending on where you are, you actually take different things out of it, you know, or one of the things that I always kind of work on is not making assumptions. And <laughs> so if I, like, if I figure like, uh, I'm assuming something, I might just go back and read that chapter and be like, why was I making that assumption? Yeah. So, What's that old saying? If you make an assumption, you make a. Yeah. I don't need to say it out loud. You can do the rest. Out of you, you and me. And me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, okay. So you loved Lululemon and then what made you want to get into like PR and events? Like, cause that's a, a different shift, right? A different direction. Yeah. Big shift. I think it started when Danny and I were, um, 
in university. We back then we were running the dance team and Danny had had this idea to do um, a fashion show charity event. So we actually started an event that is the predecessor to what became City Moguls, our first company. So we started this event community called Raise the Rhythm while we were in university. And it was kind of like a dance music fashion show that raised money for charity. And we put together our first event. We're hoping like, you know, 50 people would show up and we'd raise a couple hundred bucks for charity. And even that first event, I think we did back 2009, 2010, we raised like 5K for charity and had like 200 people come. And we were so proud and so happy of that. So I think just like exploring and dabbling, we, we, I realized I loved doing events. I loved bringing the community together. It fueled like my creativity to integrate the arts. And I'm just a triple A personality. So loved the organization elements, um, everything that came with it. So, you know, I I worked for a couple different organizations, um, a, a, a well-known charity, did events there and was a project manager there, worked for a college, did some events there, but just... I don't know. It just, there was so much friction. And I felt when I was working for other people, I would just get, I felt frustrated all the time. Mm -hmm. And I was, uh, I was annoyed with how they were doing things and I wanted them to do better. And I wanted them to work as hard as I was. And I wanted all my employees to put their heart and soul as much as I was into everything. And I realized like, okay, maybe this is a sign that I'm not cut out for this world, that I need to do my own thing because I just did not feel satisfied at all in that nine to five life. Oh, that's so funny because I, I, I didn't mind the nine to five, but my struggle was like, I had this manager who, whenever you did the performance rating, I would always rate myself like a six or a seven. And she's like, you're being ridiculous. <laughs> like, you're like a nine or a 10. She's like, do you not understand? And I never, ever felt like I was work. Like I thought everybody either worked like me or worked better, but mm. she showed me like one of the things she said to me that kind of always stuck out, stood out to me is Janet, I ask you to do something and you go away and like, you come back in like less time and you're giving me three really good options. Like not even just one, but three really good options that are all viable. And you've done it earlier than you're supposed to. And she's like, not everybody works that way. And I didn't actually really understand that or get it until I started managing other people. And then I was like, oh, oh, now I know what she's talking about. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy, right? And I think these are like the warning signs that people need to pick up if they're thinking about entrepreneurship. Like I would also have that. And I would also my job and then if someone else and I was young too I think this was also because I was like in my early 20s so that overachieving people pleasing phase yeah. Yeah. um but you know if if I was waiting on someone that I worked with to finish something often I would just be like it's okay I did it for you you know like yeah. just always willing to go above and beyond so 
thinking and talking out loud about it, I definitely realized like that was probably more my people pleasing tendencies and wanting to get things done. But um, yeah, just reached reached a point where I was like, I I'm I think I'm ready to take the leap. I'm young enough. I don't have so much to lose. So was my uh, at the time best friend Danny. So we were like, let's go for it. Let's let's start an events company. And so um, both of you like quit your jobs at the same time and just went all in on events or did you try to like balance both? Yeah, so we ended up, I think, getting uh, one client first. So Danny left her job first. So she was working with that client uh, for six months full time and I was kind of helping on the side. And then I took the leap once we were able to get another client. So Mm -hmm. we did kind of have things lined up before we we made the the leap all in. Yeah, it's interesting because you always see people ask that question, right? Like a lot of people now in particular have a full-time job and are doing a side hustle. And the number one question that they ask is like, how do I know like when I should just go for it? And I think like for each person, it's different, right? It comes down to Mm -hmm. like your comfort level and how much risk-taking you want to take on. Um, But so you started City Moguls. It was originally an in-person events company. Yeah. So even before City Moguls, Danny and I were running a company called Stratus Events. So that was more like client-facing work. So we were being hired by companies and organizations to put on fashion shows, charity events, all sorts of different things. We had, we we did stuff with Toronto Fashion Week. We did um, the CAFA awards, a lot in the arts and entertainment space. And it was, it was about a year into that running that events company that we started wanting to want to expand our network, meet new people, get into the entrepreneur world. And, um, I'll never forget this. I'm not going to say what organization it was, but we went to a networking event and it was just so cringy. It was like, (laughs) you know, here's my business card. Where's your business card? Like so transactional. And it just felt so awkward and uncomfortable. And I remember Danny and I both leaving and being like, we need to do something about this. Like this, this can't be it. Is this how you meet people? Yeah. And, you know, we, we started thinking and we're like, why don't we like combine our love and passion for bringing people together into a really unique event experience that's technically like an undercover networking event. So that's when City Moguls was born. It started off as a fashion show that celebrated Canada's top entrepreneurs um, for charity. So the entrepreneurs would walk the runway for charity and Canadian designs and clothing. And we would add elements of music and dance. And um, this was back in 2016. Uh, and it just blew up. We, it was just, I guess, a perfect combination of the right timing and getting the right entrepreneurs and people involved. And um, it really took off and we just went with it. And so with all of your companies, um, have you always bootstrapped it? Have you had um, external funding? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah, so the first two, uh, Stratus, the events company and City Moguls, 
turning into an entrepreneur community, we 100% bootstrapped. Um, and, you know, we were in our mid to late 20s. So circumstance wise, no kids, no mortgages. You know, we could put, we could live on those student budgets, but, you know, build the company. So I always like to say that because I think, you know, it depends on what time you what time you are in your life. As life yes. grows, you have more commitments, right? Uh, with our current business now, we decided from the get-go, I think also because of the stage we are at in our lives, we are getting investors, we are doing this right. We want the capital to build a wildly successful company. So have done both. Yeah, I think it's it's interesting because I'm like, it's kind of weird, but I'm from the generation where we never asked for anything from anybody, right? Like, so anything I've ever done, I've always bootstrapped. And I've had experiences with like younger entrepreneurs that have like asked me to invest in their companies, which is great for them. Um, but it's also like on my side, it's like, oh, it's a little bit weird. Like they're asking me to invest. Like I never would have had the courage to ask someone for anything like that. It is so hard to ask yeah. for money. I think it's like, uh, one of the hardest things to do, especially, I mean, we haven't gotten to Maven Shea yet, but you know, asking people for money where you don't have anything to show yet. Like you're like, we have this idea. Here's our really beautiful deck. Here's all of the cool things that we have planned in our projections. It really is. I've learned over the last year um, doing our first raise. It's really about the people believing in you and what you're capable of. 100% for sure. And it is like, Nowadays, depending on the type of company you're launching, it's kind of the norm, to be quite honest. Like it has become a norm where it is normal to like get people investing in your company. Um, so that's like a little bit of a shift, a different shift for me to think of like from a mindset standpoint. But I think you're right. And even if you were to talk to someone who like has the job of fundraising, you know, they work for a non-for-profit organization and their title is fundraising I'm like I would never want that job <laughs> uh, yeah it'd be so yeah. hard yeah exactly and we kind of it's funny you bring that up because when we were doing city moguls a big part of us being able to do the events was getting big sponsors yeah. so I guess that was kind of priming us to ask for money like we were going to big companies and asking for big sponsorships banks and all sorts of organizations to sponsor the event so we got good at pitching ourselves and being comfortable asking for money and being in that sales mindset which I know can be really hard for a lot of founders to pitch yourself and talk about yourself and your business um but it it's you know I I've worked a lot on my money mindset over the, the last couple of years, especially from where I've come from. I've come from, you know, next to nothing. And, you know, my parent watching my parents struggle and live paycheck to paycheck. And I can't, I couldn't have not inherited those values and principles of how I think about money. So I've started to really work on my money mindset and think about it differently. And it's not my personal debt. It's not, this is just giving me the opportunity to do what I'm envisioning and have the capital to scale and grow into something 
And I'm not, I'm not risky enough to leverage or mortgage, take out a mortgage out on my home. So I just, just my, myself and my co-founder Danny just weren't willing to do that. Yeah. And it's interesting. Cause I think, um, like when we're talking about what you inherit from your parents, it's true. Like some of the ways of thinking, and it's not just around money, it's around communication, relationships, whatever, but unless you're willing to kind of like take a hard look on that and figure out like, actually, this is an area I need to work on and how can I improve it? And how can I make it better? It's something that might hold like a lot of people back. Yeah. And I do believe at least for myself with my first two companies, it did hold me back a lot. Um, like I, we didn't pay ourselves proper salaries until this company. And it doesn't sound like a big deal, but I think it did mess with a, a lot with how I valued myself because I wasn't paying myself. Right. Well, like, and, and, and I'm wondering, so yeah, it, it messes with, the, with the, how you value yourself, but does it also impact how you feel about whether the company is successful or not? Because what are you actually getting from it? Like you're getting to work, you're getting to do something you're passionate about, but you really also have to pay yourself too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And we used to make excuses and be like, oh, we'd rather hire that person and pay them. Like we, it kind of, we would justify that action by feeling like a little selfless about it. Yeah. Right. But in the end, I felt like shit. Cause I would look at my bank account and be like, well, it, it feels like a struggle. So I think those little things like that, you know, I don't think you can learn until you go through them, but being on this third business, there's, there's non-negotiables now, like I'm paying myself a salary that, you know, I can live off of before anyone else is hired. Like that's yeah. a non-negotiable. Um, and something I wish I had learned in business one or business number two, because <laughs> <laughs> I feel a lot better about myself. I have yeah. many other reasons, but yeah, but yeah. It, but it is it is an interesting topic, and it is something that I think, you know, one of the things I struggled with a few years ago, like when Instagram became like popular, and you see all of these like entrepreneurs talking about um, all the money they're making, and they have photos of them on a yacht or on a plane or blah 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 whatever, and and even you see now like some of these ads that people put together like make a million dollars, you know, launch a six figure course, do this, do that. And, and don't put any work into it. It's not going to be anything. And you're like, I have yet to see a business that does not <laughs> require work. And it's never, and it's funny because I'm currently in the process of creating a post around like nothing is set it and forget it, you know, like, and anyone who thinks you can, like, there's so many people that would say to me about like, having an online e-commerce business. Oh, it's so great. It's so easy. You can do whatever you want. And you're like, do you want to know what my day looks like? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. This is literally one of my biggest pet peeves is the like fast track or like the shortcut ways to success or making a lot of money. Like there's no shortcut. <laughs> there's yeah. hard work, grit, falling on your ass, getting back up. And like, it takes time. And all of these overnight success stories have a 10 year, 10 to 12 yeah. year story of that person getting there. So 
I, it's one of my biggest pet peeves. And I just, if people are telling you that, you know, they can make X, Y, and Z in six months, it's, it is too good to be true. It's not possible. And it's not worth your time and energy. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, maybe in some of those situations, it might be true if you have all of that money to put into all the Facebook ads or whatever it is you need in order to get the attention and drive that, right? But it's yeah. not going to, like, it's this um, project management thing. There's always that triangle where it's like time, money, what is it? Time, money, and quality. So with that triangle, it's like, you have to decide like what your budget is, how much time you're putting in and what quality. And like, you want it to be a triangle, you want it to work, but it never ends up being that way. And it's the same thing with the business, right? Like if you have a ton of money to throw at it, you're going to operate your business much differently than if you don't have that money. Yeah. Yeah. Right? That's I like that. I'm not going to forget that. <laughs> the triangle not a heart. It's a triangle. <laughs> I, I know if you're watching on video, I've made a sad triangle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what do you think, uh, was the biggest lesson that you learned with city moguls in particular? Because the, the other thing actually we didn't kind of get into was you're running this events company and then the pandemic hits and you actually did a really good pivot um, where you pivoted the business to be online and it's really, it was really like community membership, um, before with city moguls, was it just like you pay to attend this event or did you also still have like a yes. membership? Okay. Yeah. So before a pandemic, yes, the final chapter, I guess is we're approaching, but before the pandemic, we were doing our big, um, award show. It became called the mogul awards. Um, so before the pandemic hit, we were moving into our fourth event and 2020 was going to be our fifth big annual event, but we were also starting to do some smaller events. So workshops, um, a speaker series, and it was our plan in 2020 to launch our membership program. Mm -hmm. So March, 2020 hit, we all, we all remember it. We all know what happened. And for us, we were still actually had a couple clients, um, through Stratus events that we were running events for, and then also doing city moguls, like things where city moguls were ramping up more. When the pandemic hit, it was like all the contracts with our events got canceled for Stratus. And then city moguls, we were just like, we went into like go mode. We're like, we need to figure this out fast to support our community because we're going through this, which means every entrepreneur in our community is going through this. So we had had like rough plans of what we envisioned our, like our membership to look like, but I'm being perfectly honest. We whipped together this membership program in three weeks and launched it like first week of April, 2020. And our whole goal was to, um, because everything was online and we didn't know how long it was going to last, but we wanted to do, a, you know, networking events, figure out how that would work online. And obviously there's a lot now, um, but back in 2020, we were figuring it out with rooms and all of that stuff. So that was fun. And then we wanted to bring in all of these experts that we had that were a part of our award shows in for workshops and webinars. And then finally, we wanted to create a mastermind program that would allow entrepreneurs to be in a safe space uh, to speak with one another weekly and to work through challenges and ideas and learn from one another. So 
Yeah, we launched in 2020 our membership. Our initial cohort, we actually offered for, for free because it was kind of like our alpha program to test everything else out. And then in the summer 2020, we launched our paid membership and it was awesome. And it was perfect timing because we we were able to test and and figure things out really quickly, not think about things too much yeah. and provide a lot of value and support to our community in such a hard time. Like I think about, 2020 and 2021 and having city moguls just even for myself and like I don't think I would have gotten through those two years without like the online support and seeing everybody's faces you know at least once or twice a month it was so great it was it was the best yeah I think it was it's important I still think it's important like I still think it's important yeah. to connect and network especially with like like-minded people and um, also people that are like driving to do something. It's a different type of energy, right? And a different type of understanding. Um, but I enjoyed going through the program with the little cohort that I had. That was um, a good experience. Uh, but what I actually really liked in the city moguls was the speed networking. And the reason I liked it is because, you know, like when you're at an in-person networking event, so you're at an in-person networking event and someone comes up and they're just like, talk, 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 talk. You actually, like, there's no synergy. There's nothing in common, but I always had a challenge of like exiting. And so the great thing about the speed network online is like, you're pushed into a room, you have like X number of minutes and then boom, it's done. And you're like, you don't have to worry about exiting. <laughs> I loved it. Was it so great it was so great for that and for people who are a little more introverted like we got that a lot too like we had a lot of our entrepreneurs being like I love this event because I have such a hard time in person going up and starting conversations with people so it really took down a lot of those barriers and allowed you to walk away with way more connections and potential you know opportunities than like an in-person networking event for sure and I agree, the networking never stops. The mentorship never stops. All of these elements that we built into the city moguls community are for life as an yeah. entrepreneur. Well, part of it is like, um, and I think I've shared this before, like even when I was growing orange fish, there was a point where I stopped learning and growing myself. And I just kind of got into the status quo of this is the things that have to be done and da, 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 da. And I'll tell you, like, when you get into that mindset with your business, your business also stops growing. And I can look back at even like the revenue or the impact from certain years and be like, oh yeah, that's when I was like, all in and giving so much energy versus that's when I was like, mm, yeah, no. <laughs> and that's one of the challenges, like when you're a founder and you're on your own, right? Whereas I think when you have a co-founder, it's a bit of a benefit because you can kind of like balance each other out, help lift the other person up when they're down, et cetera. Right. Yeah. I um, haven't talked much about this on, on, with you like on this episode, but I mean, having a co-founder is like the only option for myself. And Danny even says that too. Like we, we, we love and respect each other so much. Like our relationship started in when we were, you know, 1920. So, you know, we've been through 
a lot of life together. And it's also like a marriage. Like we've gone through periods where things have been really hard and we've gotten coaches and we've had to work through some of our, you know, communication styles and, you know, confrontation and what our strengths are. You know, I feel like so much of our early years was us just figuring out what we were really good at. And it, it, turns out we're both good at different things. So that that's good because we yeah. cover a broad spectrum of things in our in our business and kind of have very different zones of genius. Um, but it takes work still to this day, just like any like any like a marriage. You know, she really is like my business wife and we have to work on our relationship a lot. But to your point about time, I think having a co-founder kind of allows you to keep that balance of life and not burning out. Both Danny and I have been at points in our life where we've burnt out or our health has taken um, our toll, a toll because of how much we were working. And we just have both promised one another we're not willing to do that. So, you know, having a co-founder, for example, Danny had her first child in 2021. She was allowed to like take somewhat of a maternity leave because I was able to step in and take over and support things. And if one of us gets sick, I know I have peace of mind that like things are still running and operating because, you know, she's able to oversee things. So it's hard to find that person and it's not easy all the time, but it really works for us. And there's no one else I'd want to do it with. So I'm very lucky for that. Yeah. And, and I think too, it's like identifying if you need and want that right? Like I've always, I've owned and operated five businesses. Um, not once have I ever wanted a co-founder <laughs> because I think it's so challenging, I, but then again, I'm also single. So also no relationship. So it's like, maybe that's what I need to work on. Who knows? But, but it's like, if, if it, you know, sometimes these things hold people back from moving forward. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody should get into a business with their best friend because it's not going to work. Um, like sometimes it will work, but sometimes it won't work, but it is figuring out like, what is it that's going to help move you forward? Yeah. And so absolutely. let's get into, um, the last business. So you guys have, are you still with city moguls or you've jumped straight into this new business? So I'll take you back on the journey. So back in April, 2020, when we were pivoting city moguls and building this membership community, um, one of our biggest mentors, you know, uh, we have mentors that we meet with on our own. I have mentors, Danny has mentors, and then we have mentors that, you know, we'll be on, we'll both be on calls with. And one of them, I'll never forget. He said, he looked at Danny and I and was like, so, you know, this pandemic isn't going anywhere for a long time. Like, what's your plan? Because events aren't, in-person events aren't coming back and they're not going to be the same. So what are you guys doing? And, oh, we're going to do all this for saying He's like, no, no, no. Like, I want you to think bigger. I want you to think of business ideas, products, things that are new. And we were like, oh, like that bad. Like we, you know, back then in March, we were like, okay, we had a couple months. We'll be all wrapped up, done, back to normal life by the summer. You know, I'll never forget it. But, you know, he really challenged us to think outside of the box. And I remember Danny and I were like, every day we'd spend like two hours on a call, just like 
brainstorming ideas and writing things down of, you know, other businesses that we could potentially start while we were working through city mogul stuff. And it was like an aha moment. Like, I think we were both just spitballing ideas. And I think it was, it was Danny and our mentor that were like, what about shoes, like women's shoes? And then we started talking about different types of shoes. And then we talked about slippers and, oh, like I'm actually wearing my slippers a lot at home and they all suck. And we started talking about what we hated about slippers, how stinky they got, how frumpy they looked, how they lacked support and weren't comfortable to wear all day. And I would never be caught dead wearing them outside, like all of these things. And we really realized like, oh my gosh, like there's an opportunity here. So we we spent about six months on uh, R&D, just understanding the footwear industry, women's shoes, slippers, and we were just so jazzed and excited about for ourselves to create like this dream slipper that was supportive and beautiful and stylish, could be worn outside. Like, like I think originally we were like, it'll be a loafer that's secretly a slipper. We're like, yeah, <laughs> this is what everybody wants. And we we just started, you know, as entrepreneurs, we went in head first and we started to get really excited about it. And it was about a year in that we were like, okay, there's real opportunity here. And we, you know, started to get a prototype together of what we were envisioning and talking with footwear experts and chiropodists and podiatrists and actually understanding what ergonomic means. Um, and you know, it, in a year in, we had a prototype, we had a pitch deck and we were like, let's do it. Let's, let's, let's go all in. And that was the point where we had to make that choice of like, we have city moguls, we built this incredible organization. What are we going to do with it? So we made, we made a challenging decision to kind of pause programming and focus on Maven Shea. And we're still kind of in this weird transition with city moguls because we love the community uh we're just not at capacity to run or have someone run it so we've we've been exploring other options but we're still kind of feeling out what's going to happen next with that brand but it's not we're not completely done with it yet yeah okay so and then um what do you think is like moving into a product-based business because your other business was not product-based and you were in events before. So also not product-based. What is like the biggest lesson that you think you have learned? Oh my goodness. Well, I think going into the product world, like you set, you have all these timelines in your head of how long things are going to take. And you just got to like multiply it by like 10, like things take so long to do. And I think it's also because of like this economic time we're in, there's supply chain issues. Like you can't get things done as quickly as maybe you used to. Like back in the day, you could go to these big trade shows and find suppliers and vendors and exhibitors. Right. And nowadays, well, when we were in product development, we had to like, you know, call factories that don't speak English and like hope we could find somebody that could. And we're like slippers, fuzzy, warm, flippers women you know just hoping like one word connects but anyways we ended up finding the right people and an agent and you know all, all these people to help us but yeah it just takes so much longer than you think to create a product from scratch 
But you know, it's so funny. Like that's the same thing with technology. Everybody thinks technology is fast. Oh, it's fast, fast. But like, do you know my technology projects I've worked on? None of them are ever on time and they're all over budget, all of them. And so it's interesting because people think technology fast uh, with product products, I think do take more time. Cause I've been in the product business for over 15 years. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. Cause I think people will think, Oh, did you just dream that up one night in your basement? And all of a sudden it's there. And it's like, no, it didn't work that way. <laughs> yeah. It, there's so many steps. There's R and D there's proving the concepts. There's finding people who will believe in you. Like these factories are like, who are you? You have no background in footwear. Like, so it was, finding the right factory, finding the right agent who would be near the factory, who would represent us. It was finding a footwear technician that has been in the industry for 30 years and can help us finalize all of the elements. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been amazing, but it, you know, in, in the last year, it's also, we're like, we're still not there. We still don't have our product here. And we're almost at hitting that like three-year mark since we came up with the idea. And so what has been like in your mind, what do you think has been the biggest win so far? Um, Well, I do believe that our two businesses prepped and trained us to be able to build this type of business right. Like with um, Stratus and City Moguls, we learned what it takes to build a community and a strong brand and have people love it and want to be a part of it. And I think regardless of what type of company you're building, that's essential. You need people. So we know how to build community. We love building communities. So that was kind of like a constant that we knew how to do and could carry so effortlessly into Mavenshay. Um, And the systems and operations, because when you boil it down, regardless of what type of business you have, you're managing people, you need systems to keep things organized and running smoothly. So a lot of the stuff that we built in our other businesses, we could transfer and just optimize for this business. So a lot of those like, I don't want to say boring stuff, but like knowing how to do accounting, knowing how to do financing, knowing how to build pitch decks, like we knew how to do that stuff. So we were able to work really quickly on that side of things. It was the product development side that was new for us. Yeah. Like I think for me personally, the process part is easy, right? Like I think that's the easiest thing just because the way my mind works, that's the easiest thing to come up with. But um, I think uh, what's interesting and what you're saying is like, even in the retail space, what's happening now and the big discussion is around even these large retail brands are going to have to build communities because even with the re- upcoming recession or what we're in right now, people are being more careful about where they're spending their money. And so even as a small business, it's even more important to be able to build that community so they could love you and come back to you. Um, so what do you think was the biggest challenge when you're, when you're building a community? Well, I think the biggest challenge, and I think something that we even learned from city moguls was not being niche enough with our community. Mm-hmm. I think you really need to have a clear understanding of who you're talking to what are the challenges they face and what do they love? So I think that all comes down to, I guess, marketing and having, you know, that, um, that awareness to build 
and test who you're talking to and really get clear with like who are those avatars so to speak of like who's who who is this person you know for for Maven Shay one of, one of our avatars is the Muskoka mom <laughs> I know that sounds funny but it's like you know she's this mom who has a cottage in Muskoka has like three kids is really busy has a lot of errands she runs all day she needs something that's like supportive and luxurious that looks good so that if she was caught running out to throw out the trash she would still look cute but she feels really good and confident. So like we're talking to this Muskoka mom all the time. And I think that's really important when you're building community is to know who the heck you're talking to because you're not going to be able to talk to everyone. Yeah, it's true. And I feel like that's something I've struggled with because it's like in the beginning, especially with Orange Fish, it's like you want to help everybody, but it's like, it's actually better to niche it down. So um, there's so many more things we could talk about, but uh, you know, we can't go on forever. (laughs) Who will listen to us if we talk forever? Um, But I do have one more question for you. I ask everybody this question. I have stolen it from Tim Ferriss because I love it so much. And the question is, like, you know, Dundas Square, you know how there's like the great big billboards at Dundas Square. Um, if you could have a message on a billboard at Dundas Square that you wanted everyone to read and know about it, and it could be business related or not business related, what would that message be? What would you want to display on a big billboard in Dundas Square? Oh my gosh, this is a great question. Yeah, that's why I stole it. (laughs) You know, as much as like this call has been about business and all of that, like I am big on living life to the fullest. And um, I recently had a health scare and was in the hospital for a couple of days. And it was the first time I had really like kind of had the rug swept under me of, you know, oh my gosh, like your health can be taken away in a second. And um, um, so, I mean, the reason I'm sharing this is because I'm coming up with something that's a lot more personal than it is about business, but I think it would be, uh, a question, a question. Will this matter five years from now? I love that. And I would just leave it open-ended because I just feel like so many people in their day-to-day, that incessant chatter is about all of these little things that don't really matter and all of these chores and things we have to do. It's so like future and past focus that we waste so much time worrying about things that like, is it really going to matter five years from now? And it probably won't. And, you know, even in Maven Shay with Danny and I, like the stakes have never been higher for us in this company. We have, you know, raised over 300K in investments. We have a lot of people wanting us to succeed. We have pre-orders, all of this stuff. But I still don't feel the stress that I felt when I was running my other two businesses. And I think it's just because I'm having fun. I'm in a more curious place. And... If, if it's not going to matter five years from now, I just let it slide off. Yeah, I love that. I love that. And I agree with you. I think people get caught up in focusing too much on the past, not living in the present and worrying too much about the future. So I love that question. I think that's a great question. 
I might steal it and post it on my social media because I'm just stealing from everybody. <laughs> steal it. Take it. I got your permission here right now. <laughs> I did. Permission granted. I didn't I didn't come up with that. I stole it from nowhere. Probably. Definitely. Um, but Victoria, there are so many more things we could have talked about, like um, even getting investors. Uh, you did a Kickstarter campaign. So I'm so sorry we have like totally run out of time. But thank you so much for your time today. And thank you for sharing um, everything that you've learned so far. And who knows, maybe we'll have to do another one in the future. Yeah, absolutely. And we've talked a lot about, especially your Maven Trade journey. Um, if any of you are interested, we have a blog and we're very active on our Instagram. So if you guys give us a follow or subscribe to our newsletter, we talk a lot about the challenges we faced in this business, how we ran a Kickstarter campaign. So always open to talk about all the learnings because that's how we learn and get better from the hacks. Yeah, exactly. And so um, are you, is it better for people to contact you on Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook? Like what's the most active channel you have that is most? Yeah, I'm on Instagram. I love to post stories of my travels and all the things I'm doing in a day. Today's story was about me crying in a car, the car listening to Beyonce. Just sometimes <laughs> that's all it takes. Um, but yeah, uh, if you want to connect on Instagram, I would love to. It's uh, my first name, Victoria underscore Marshman, M-A-R-S-H-M-A-N. Perfect. So I'll add that to the show notes as well as the link to the company website. And thank you again for your time. And I hope you have an awesome day. Thank you, Janet. <laughs>